Welcome to Zero Brightness, a podcast about horror video games. My name is Ali. I'm joined by my friend James. James, how's it going? How's it going, everybody? Have you seen my girlfriend? <laughs> That's right. We're looking for our girlfriends and their twin sisters today or at least i think that's what happened because i i couldn't make heads or tails of this fucking game we're talking about echo night two for the playstation one yes um, a little a little slice of 90s high gothic for you uh if you're into that echo night two not released in western regions mm-hmm. so this is a new game to us. Yeah, it's thanks, new. Sky Daddy. Uh, we got a fan translation. Yeah, two folks named Gemini and Tom translated this fantastically. By the way, it's a really good translation. Yeah, um, super. And good. I'm glad because I actually got to play it. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. I actually have no idea how I feel about this game. Hmm. Uh, I, I do have mixed feelings about it, but. I liked Echo Night 1 so much that we had to. And especially yeah. since, you know, so few people out there have played this game that I thought it'd be really interesting to talk about. Oh, yeah. And it does a lot of cool things. It it, it pushes everything that Echo Night 1 does to the extreme um, with mixed results. Some are really cool. Some are kind of not great. Yeah, but, totally. Yeah. So before we get too deep into that, though... As always, this episode is brought to you by you. You can go to patreon.com slash zero brightness to sign up to support the show directly. You can also go to zerobrightness.com where you can find links to our Bandcamp where we sell music and merch, our Discord where we hang out and talk to people, and more. James, before I forget, we should put our email on there because someone was trying to contact us via email and our email is weirdly hard to find. Yeah, I'll so, put a little uh, letter button there. You can send us an e-letter. Yeah, send us emails. This yeah. is like a press inquiry, yeah. which is cool. We'll love more of those. But also, if you're, if you're just a friend and want to say hi or ask us a question or request something, you can do that via there or any of our social media channels. I hope it's that stamps.com rep. Yes, they are trying to give us a bundle of money and uh, just couldn't find the email. Hit us up, boys. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I sent out like 10 records yesterday. Come on. Come on. I sent out two, uh, three today. So, yeah. Come Excellent. on. Excellent. Dude. Come on, stamps.org. We are rocking and rolling in the free world. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, okay. So, Echo Night 2, uh, the Lord of Shadows, I think is the... Lord of, Lord of Shadows, Lord of Nightmares. Mm. Something spooky and uh, exalted. Yes. Echo Night 2... The Lord uh, is the game that we're talking about <laughs> today. Sky Daddy. Echo Night 2 Sky Daddy. Uh, so this game, like we mentioned, uh, never got an official Western release, never got an official English translation. Mm-hmm. Uh, recently, there's a fan translation. Like James said, it's really good. Uh, came out so you can patch a ROM and mm-hmm. play it in an emulator, which is what we did. Um you know, if you want, if you haven't heard our Echo Night One episode, I will say even before we talk much about it, you should go listen to that episode. I think mm. this 
these games are so similar that there's a lot of stuff that carries over, so it's good to have that context. Um, yeah. Even if you haven't played Echo Knight 1, it's good to at least listen to our episode on it. It's also a fun episode. I actually listened to it again to kind of prep for this episode. Oh, nice. Um, I did not. Uh, but yeah, so, you know, Echo Knight 2. It's always been a little bit of a mystery. We knew it was out there. We hadn't mm-hmm. played it. We talked about it in the other episode, but both of us are big fans of... Echo Knight and Echo Knight Beyond, especially oh. Echo Knight Beyond. Yeah. Um, so it, it is cool to see this intermediary chapter, and it really is like a bridge between the two games. Yeah, well, again, it's produced by the same guy, Toshifumi Nabeshima, uh, who actually recently directed Left Alive which totally fucking bombed. It was like a garbage stealth game that nobody liked or played. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But he also produced all three Echo Knight games, most Armored Core games, and was the head scriptwriter on Dark Souls 2. Hmm. Um, when it came out, Famitsu gave it a really good score, a 32 out of 40, mm-hmm. which, you know, in terms of Fem- Famitsu terms, is pretty high. Oh, yeah, and it, it sure. came out actually almost exactly one year to the date after the first game. So super quick turnaround. And you can pretty much kind of feel that in the gameplay. Yeah. It's, um, Echo Knight 1.75. Really? Yeah. It's interesting because this game does do quite a few things different. It definitely mm. it builds on what the first game did. But on a nuts and bolts level, it's the same. I think the biggest, most notable change is that they added a couple control options that make it even easier to set up your own actually good controls in your emulator (laughs) or third-party software. We we talked about it in the other episode, how like this game, like I do with a lot of other survival horror games, uh, PS1 survival horror games that we play in the show, is I'll emulate Uh it and I'll run Xpatter. What you yeah. do is you just map the shoulder buttons, which are usually used to like pivot or turn your character. You map those to the right stick. Uh, mm-hmm. And so you get kind of uh, bobo-ass bootleg dual analog controls. Uh, <laughs> they don't always work, but in this game, in Echo Knight 2, they work like perfectly because they added these quote-unquote strafe options to both of the control styles that are in the original games. Okay. I used the default style and still expatted it to dual stick. Um, that's kind of the first challenge in this game because it took me like a solid 30 to 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah. So first puzzle, get it to play right. Yeah, so the controls in this game, we actually didn't really break it down in the first episode, which is kind of funny because, yeah, it's like the first thing you have to do is like make this game control not like a fucking boat. Um, but essentially, the way it works is that you have a forward, like a forward back uh on your left control stick and then you have like a left right pivot on the same control stick and then like the shoulder buttons are used for both strafing left and right and looking up and down yeah Mm -hmm. and then on top of that like that's not enough um you also have three different interact buttons there's like uh interact just like a normal interact button so like open Uh a drawer or something like that then there's an inspect button yeah that's like get information on the thing and those Mm -hmm. both do different things yes and then there's an 
interact with item button. So you hit that, it pulls up your inventory, <laughs> and then you can use the normal interact <clears throat> button to select an item if you want it to to use it on the thing that you have highlighted. You also have an on-screen mm-hmm. cursor, and the thing you're looking at will pop up with like a little text box so you know you have it highlighted. Yeah, and it might sound like we're making a big deal out of the controls, but if you've played any first-person game in the past 20 years... Going back and playing a game like this or Kingsfield just immediately breaks your brain. Yeah. You just can't do it. Because we've all been brain programmed for twin stick uh, first person exploration. So yeah. yeah, it's pretty brutal. And like I can't I just can't play it with the old school controls. I just can't do it. My brain won't let me. Yeah. And so I, I totally agree. And with the first game, I remapped it in a way that was like pretty good. Like uh-huh. It mostly worked the same, but it was just a little like kind of clunky. But in this game, because they added the the quote unquote strafe control options, like mm-hmm. when I pulled up the control scheme that I rigged up for the first game, it just worked perfectly in this game. Like it was just normal nice. dual stick. I didn't have to change or adjust anything. Um, so I did that and I turned up the walking and turning speed to max and it was Got surprisingly it. slick. Like, yeah, it actually, in that sense, you could play the game pretty normally. Yeah. So, okay, Echo Knight 2 is more of the same from Echo Knight 1, but it does have a lot of, like, differences and improvements. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I mean, if you've listened to the first episode, you know that, you know, we're looking for light switches. Every room we go in, we're going to turn around and try to find the light switch real quick. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, yeah uh, so the game boils down to kind of adventure game slash survival horror puzzles and a big puzzle box mansion um, filled with a bunch of weird items, uh, friendly ghosts to help, evil ghosts to avoid or defeat. And um, I think uh, one thing that this game does better than the first game is give you a sort of um, Dark Stoles Dark Souls style uh, loop back exploration, right? You'll you'll finally find an area where you can explore and go through doors that aren't locked, and eventually you'll get really far out and then come to an area where you're instantly looped back, and you're like, "Hey, I know this place. Oh, that's cool. Now we have a shortcut." Um, you know, yeah. FromSoft mastered this with the Dark Souls games, but uh, I mean, you can totally feel that here, and it's. The pace is slower, so it's kind of like a mix between like a Symphony of the Night meets Dark Souls loop back feel, you know? Yeah. Well, so let's talk about what's different in this game. So, yeah, yeah, like you said, the basic premise of it is the same. You're exploring environments. You're doing tasks to help ghosts move on to the afterlife, just like you did in the first game. And Mm -hmm. you're avoiding, you know, each big area will usually have like one bad ghost that can kill you that you have to turn lights on to keep them away and eventually find mm-hmm. the item that they need to ease their uh, immortal suffering <laughs> or whatever is going yeah. on in this game. And, uh, you know, of course, it's Resident Evil, so we're getting herbs, finding notes. Yeah. And, and we're doing the whole, you know, later on with Amnesia and Layers of Fear, you know, the drawer-pulling mechanic was huge, you know, in horror games. And this is kind of the the progenitor of the drawer-pulling mechanic. We're opening a lot of drawers here. 
Yeah, and as we elaborated on in the episode on the first one, I've kind of really sticking to my guns that Echo Knight is the first walking sim and uh, mm. has a surprising amount of the genre just in it. Like, the earlier totally. walking sims that came out years later are not that much different than Echo Knight. Um, All Echo Knight needs is, like, a uh, disembodied... Uh, omniscient narrator voice right yeah totally (laughs) that's like the one thing that those games added well so okay in what's different in this game right so they really the two big things to me that they really changed and that they really uh restructured for this game number one is the aesthetic uh so Mm. this game has a really heavy 90s arch gothic kind of aesthetic so i guess very much thinking of symphony of the night Um, vampire hunter d vampire hunter d for sure uh the dracula movie that came out in the 90s you know bram stoker's dracula starring keanu reeves and all that uh ann rice you know interview with the vampire um Mm -hmm. and i think that uh in a modern way this is an aesthetic that obviously still exists but it's not as popular i think the big thing that came to mind while i was playing this game was the guillermo del toro film crimson peak Mm. um i really like that movie i think it's massively underrated uh it's a definitely one of his less popular movies got really bad reviews and people don't seem to talk about it too much but uh i really like that movie but it's it's sort of a romantic drama with that kind of gothic aesthetic right sure um, totally. so that's a big thing in this game like you're you're in creepy old mansions castles you know watchtowers things like that uh character models are much like better rendered in this game and they actually look really good and so yeah, they do especially the ghosts yeah um, Okay, the first game, the bad guy ghosts weren't scary at all, and they were kind of just, like, really goofy looking, almost like dolls floating at you. Yeah. Uh, This game actually, like, spooked me a couple times. There's this one girl that can go through walls, and she, like, Fatal Frame spooked me once. Like, really good. Well, totally. And and so, when you're playing the game, you're seeing characters that actually fit with the environment, Mm -hmm. that actually look good. So, the game's whole aesthetic just feels much more cohesive and coherent um Mm -hmm. the first game was kind of all over the place and it also sort of had this weird feel to it like they couldn't decide what the aesthetic of the game was like it was vaguely old-timey but other than that it would kind of jump around a lot this game is not like that um Mm -hmm. so that's a big thing like right away when you boot it up there's a totally nuts fmv cutscene that plays and you're just like wow like we're really in this shit huh like it looks yeah almost like an early ps2 game or something with like these anime styled characters and these gothic aesthetics and mm-hmm. it's cool like you're immediately like oh this is different than the first game the first game was very minimal in the graphics department right even the even the in-game cut scenes and just dialogue is just so much better directed and presented i feel like so much more thought was put into you know just the overall visuals and aesthetics here yes. yeah like you were saying the, the first game kind of has like a it wants to be deco but it's not working and it's just kind of generic but yeah. this one really goes full force with the aesthetic and it's you know it's a a western feeling game with western characters but it's so japanese in how the characters are presented 
and um the even the story flow is kind of like tropey anime yeah in ways but yeah I, I felt like the characters um the the little um mini missions you were doing like help the guy catch a fish or whatever a lot of that felt very like anime or jrpg well yeah and so that's the other big thing in my opinion that they changed for this game uh mm-hmm. is that the game is just much bigger and more wide open yes yet the story is also more focused in a way i'm having a hard time saying that because the story is such a mess but like i guess what, what i'm trying okay here's what i'm trying to say what i'm trying to say is that the first game feels like a little game right mm-hmm. but yeah. the way that they get around the limitations of the game is that they they keep moving you from environment to environment um in that episode i actually compared it to evil within which i think is a really good comparison right where it's like it's a game that is technically very linear but the trick they use is that at various points they'll transport you to another environment but for just like five minutes right or for 10 minutes or something like that like you're going along you're completing your quest or whatever but suddenly you're in a castle or suddenly you're at a university or whatever Mm -hmm. and yet the game keeps pulling you back to this spectral cruise ship which is really where the the game is set so it can tell you this wide sweeping tale that is very strange and cut up and frequently makes no sense, but felt cohesive because it kept pulling you back to the same environment and you were always part of the same conflict. Mm -hmm. Um, Now in this game, it's kind of the opposite where like it's spatially more coherent. So you're still picking up objects or talking to ghosts and getting transported somewhere else. But it's usually not actually anywhere else. It's more like a different time and you're still in the same place. And even the other places that you go to in the game are actually physically connected. Um, Yeah. It grounds it more. Like at one point you get a boat Mm -hmm. and you can move between different like sections of an Island or different islands um, kind of. And so it grounds it all spatially but the tail itself is much is longer, it's larger, and it's overall just like more epic feeling. Yes, it's definitely a more epic story. But th- I feel like the the, the game world uh, it keeps itself open and it keeps like blossoming more and more. Like you'll unfold and you're like, oh, I'm in this like completely new wing that connects these two other sections that w- I was at previously. Um. It just unfolds itself in such a great way that, you know, the Spencer Mansion did, you know, where after you, I mean, you leave to the greenhouse in Resident Evil 1 and then you come back and then you get new areas of the original mansion. It kind of does that. And um, it's a plus and a minus, though. It's a bit of a double-edged sword because the original game, yeah, it would zap you to other worlds and you would be in different set pieces, but here, the the mansion just keeps growing and growing, and the area keeps growing. And then later on, uh, you have to do a lot of backtracking. So it's like a lot of just like running down hallways and going through these doors and loading screens uh, to get to where you need to go, which is kind of the negative of that whole grounding, I guess. Yeah. See, it's actually I actually think it's a hundred percent a negative. Like I really didn't like it because. Mm it just confused the absolute shit out of me. Like in the first game, you need a guide 
for some of it. And you definitely need a guy to get like the good ending, et cetera, et cetera. But I felt like in that game, you sort of just like surrendered to the madness and yet the environments were small enough and things were manageable enough that you didn't get overwhelmed. Um, Mm. In this game, I was like immediately overwhelmed and immediately kind of like didn't know what to do. And I never, I never shook the feeling that I had no fucking clue what I was supposed to do, (laughs) especially once it really opened up. Like when you get the boat and you can go to like three different places. Yeah. Um, I had no fucking clue what to do ever because this game (laughs) isn't like, I mean, it is like resident evil in the way that you said, but in the way that it's different is that it's so much more obtuse. Like, it's so obtuse. It really does pull a mist at points. It never yes. gets as complicated as that, but yes, once you get the boat, it gives you four places to go, three places to go, and you're like, what? I guess I'll start at the first one. But yeah. you know, as you explore those four options, uh, it a couple of them quickly present to you as dead ends. I mean, one is where you cash in your soul tokens, yeah. Um, two is uh, late gameplay, so you can basically get to the door, and I think it's locked. And I think one's a long tower, which which is a dead end, but unfortunately it takes like forever to get to the top of the tower, and it's kind of like a 10-minute time kill. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think yeah. that overall it's just the, the size of the world plus how obtuse the game is. Mm-hmm. It really gave me that Dark Souls feeling, the, the one I don't like where it was like i don't know where what i'm going yeah i don't know what i'm doing at all and i don't know what i would do to figure it out i could mm. wander around but i don't think that the wandering around is very fun per se like so in the first game i mean i played that whole game without a fucking map like I just felt like the I felt like the environment was really manageable, so I didn't feel like I was wandering around. I felt yeah. like I was moving purposefully. Well, I mean, the, this game I had no clue what I was doing ever, and I think that it like so the Dark Souls thing that I'm talking about is just the way that like you never know where you're supposed to go or what the right choice is. So even when you're presented with a choice, you're just like, wow, I have no clue what I'm supposed to do. So I was after the first hour of this game i want to say i was pretty fucking strategy guide bound Mm. and and even in the first hour i like i did not get how you were supposed to turn the power on like oh really yeah and it was like oh use that key you got on this box because i tried that but i did it wrong because you have to open Uh. the box and then use the key it's it's so obtuse that i just well that guy tells you that so I just opened a strategy guide and I just didn't close it for the rest of the game. Cause I was just like, I don't. And when I would close yeah. it or be like, let me try and figure this out on my own. I was just like, I have no fucking clue what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. Well the game does. After you beat a couple sections of the game, you start getting into its flow and you realize that each area is kind of like a compartmentalized puzzle with little sub puzzles. And there's probably, what, six of those in the game. And so, yeah, the first couple are kind of confusing, and you're like, man, this is a big mansion, and I can't go in most of it. And But yeah, I, I kind of started getting into the flow of it once I finished the area with, like, the kitchen. Uh, that whole section there, I think it was, like, the west wing of the first floor. 
once I got through that, I kind of got into its flow. And uh, but yeah, I some of the puzzles are obtuse, but a lot of the puzzles are also optional because you don't have to free all the ghosts. Yeah, that's and this true. actually brings me to another difference with this game. A lot of the ghost side quests you can botch and you force their souls to stay in purgatory for all eternity. Mm -hmm. Which yeah. is kind of bullshit because it locks <laughs> you out of the good ending but there's a, a quote unquote bad ending that's really hard to get. You basically have to like botch every side quest. Yeah. Um, so yeah that's kind of like a cool secret ending but I would be pissed off if I like got three quarters of the way through the game and then botched a ghost side quest. Well, that yeah, that's the thing with this game. It's like they open up the game a lot more. It's much mm -hmm. more, you know, ambitious. There's more to do and it's more gamey in that regard. You know, that's something we mm -hmm. said about the first For game sure. is that it's more gamey than me calling it the first walking sim would suggest. But at the same time, uh, adding all that stuff makes the game more difficult. It makes it more unforgiving. And yeah, you really start getting that later from soft vibe from mm. it. Where So once again, my solution was just like, open the strategy guide and then just like, don't close the strategy guide. And <laughs> it did kind of suck a lot of the enjoyment mm. out of the game for me because I don't like to play games that way. Sure. And I think so there's another thing here too which is that I don't know if I cared about the game's story and so no, but that's not what we're playing Echo Knight for but that's the thing is that it's we've talked about this with other games too it's like if I don't care about the story and the gameplay feels like a chore I don't know why I'm still playing the game because like I finished the we're game. Trying to make we're trying to make ghost friends, dude. <laughs> well, I don't know. I just felt like with... So once again, I think something I liked more in the first game, once again, was like you embrace the chaos. It's like you meet a ghost, <laughs> you sort of glean some detail about their life, and you're like, okay, I'm going to help this ghost. Mm -hmm. You repeat the process over and over. So it's like the whole vibe of the thing is cool. Mm -hmm. In this game, the narrative did feel like a bigger part of the game there's more cutscenes there's more uh actual like people as a non-ghost characters yeah like sure who are there with you in the world so it felt like that was a much bigger element and so when mm -hmm. i was doing the ghost side quest they started to feel sort of pointless and maybe even underwritten in some ways Thank you for listening to Zero Brightness. If you'd like to support us directly, you can go to patreon.com slash zero brightness. You can also find and interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Discord. All the relevant links are at zerobrightness.com. We'll see you out there. So this game, like uh, the Fatal Frame games, gives you a notebook with the stories of all the ghosts. And all yeah. the ghosts lived in the mansion. You slowly find out that there was like a, a mass murder incident where all the ghosts died. But they have all these like intertwining lives and stories, which I appreciated. And, and you know, you meet the ghost, it writes it in the notebook with minimal details, and you get clues, and the story gets filled out more and more. And once you finally like free their spirits, uh, like the whole story is filled out. And it's so cool at the end of the game, like when you have almost all the goats 
ghosts to like flip through that and kind of see how they're all interlinked especially later on um there's like a team of scientists it's so cool like the story that's intertwined and you wouldn't even get that full story unless you popped open that notebook and read it you know it's kind of like the item descriptions in dark souls a little bit yeah Uh, it totally that 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 i feel like that personally uh deepens my enjoyment of uh, ghost friendship simulator because that's really what this game is the overarching story is kind of like bullshit anime like okay your fucking your princess girlfriend is gone and you have to find her in a spooky mansion okay but it, it, the fun is again like justin nakone one was too is finding these ghost friends helping them pass on and being a good i don't know spirit medium or something yeah well and I don't disagree with that. And I think that the the notebook is maybe like the coolest addition to the game because like totally it updates throughout the game too. So yeah, yeah, you get you get an entry when you meet a character, and like every character has at least two entries. But some of the characters who are in the whole game, it'll update like every chapter, you know, mm-hmm. or like. And I, I'd say there's maybe like I don't know, like it feels like there's like six chapters or something in the game, you know, where things sure. progress, you find new areas, something like that, and. uh it's super cool and it is very cool to go back and read that stuff. But once again, for me, I'm not the biggest fan of that in games. Like that's why I don't love the dark souls lore and I don't really care about mm. that stuff. Cause like I want something that I experience like while I'm playing it. So like that whole story with the researchers. Oh yeah. So there's a super weird side story where there's like a lab, you know, well, there's an like, archeological dig site. Yeah. Um, on the property of this giant mansion yeah and i think it's on the other shore so you take the boat over to the archaeological dig site where this this family has been doing uh digs for like a couple generations they're finding all this cool ancient shit but yeah yeah and so like that's like actually playing it is not as interesting as like reading the the like notebook updates oh really I, I love that side section. Well, okay. Well, we're going a little into the weeds here. Uh, but, okay. So, there's this whole side section. And it's like one of the, you know, you're talking about six parts of the game. Mm-hmm. The, the, whole, the whole archaeological dig site, to me, is like really fucking cool. And there are some gimmick puzzles tied to that. So, you show up. There's a bunch of ghosts, like a receptionist ghost. And she can't go home until all the other ghosts are freed and then she can go home. Which is a cute play on, uh, uh, you know, in Japanese, in Japan, you can't leave until your boss leaves. Right. And it, it's, uh, I think it's called uh, Shitsure Shimas, like, uh, which is like, uh, I'm about to do something rude when you leave early. Okay. Um, but she is, yeah, she can't leave until all the other doctors leave. But the, the to trick all these uh, researchers into leaving, you have to like put on other researchers' lab coats and like pretend you're someone else, and it it's like a really goofy way to like fool all these researchers into like actually going home, and then she finally goes home, and that like unlocks that whole like puzzle, which is the research center. I don't yeah. know. I I love the whole gimmick, and like that section was like a big highlight to me. I mean, that puzzle was cool. I liked that puzzle. And some parts of that were neat. But once again, I just like, I was like, what is this? Why am I here? 
And like, I just was, I don't know, like playing this game, I was in this weird state of confusion that is normally mm-hmm. not like a huge turnoff for me in the game. Like I, I like open-ended narrative. I like stuff that doesn't explain itself, yeah. but like the disjointed feeling of this game really like fucked with my head. Cause okay. Like here's the thing in the well, first, you don't, you don't realize you don't find out why the archeological dig site is there until later when you read the notes. You're yeah. getting a bunch of information out of order on purpose. It's like a little bit of a memento kind of thing or something, you know, right. They're trying to be mysterious as fuck. But like the thing is that I think the game needed a stronger framing or a stronger like structure. Mm. Like the game to me, all these sections feel really aimless. And mm. the thing I liked about the first game that they did is that it actually had a pretty strong structure, right? Like, you start the game, you go to your dad's house, a cop insults him and you repeatedly, <laughs> uh, and then you find this relic. The relic transports you to the ship, and then through exploring the ship, you're transported in and out of there into other people's like yeah. memories and thoughts and whatever. Mm-hmm. So I actually thought that was a really strong framing device to kind of just show you whatever the game wanted to show you. I feel like in this game, exploring the property, I guess that's the framing device, was not as strong. And it just felt confusing to me. And so I would frequently just feel aimless and confused. So there are cool parts, like you said, like that that puzzle with the lab coats. I, I also had that as a highlight for me. But then like that whole section, I was just kind of like, what am I doing here? Like what is going on? And even mm-hmm. with the main central technically the main central narrative of the game like you have no idea what why anything is happening or what's going on until you you read a note right before the end of the game the frame story is super vague and i actually had to like go back and watch the intro video to understand but uh the frame story is like you go to like a library and this dude like sneaks you into a library and you're reading a book and then you like go to this mansion but it turns out that the last known place your girlfriend was seen is this library, and she was researching this family. And uh, there's a picture of a girl that looks just like her in this book. So you, after reading that book, you decide to go to this mansion. Uh, yeah. But then, like, you you find out that she was like an orphan. She's like looking for her family, and it's like okay. Yeah, I just sort of feel like, well, I I had the same experiences you where I felt like by the time I was actually into the game and kind of had a grasp on what I was doing mm-hmm. I had also completely forgotten the setup of the game and yeah. why I was there it was just not striking and I kind of felt that way throughout the game like the structure of the game was just so mm. weird and aimless and I mean it's not like it's not like the worst thing in the world I mean it's like a weird fucked up first person exploration game it's not like this is gonna ruin your enjoyment but i did feel like the first game did that part of it better i'll be really interested to replay echo knight beyond after this because i feel like echo knight beyond had openness and i backtracked in it uh but i love that game but it's also been god at least 15 years since i played it Sure. So uh, you, I'll, I'll be really interested to play the third one after getting the context of this one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this this one is, I mean, it's it's a lot more of a game. It's just like, 
if you, you kind of have to pull up put up with a uh, adventure gamey sort of bullshit so if you have a low tolerance for that you might not like this um but also if it's like if you just like loved echo knight one it's just like more of that and it's like on steroids for sure yeah and i mean a large part of this game is just wandering around and helping the ghosts which and is the best part yeah helping the ghosts to me at least like yeah. i loved getting to like a new wing and new or new section and discovering the ghosts oh there's a kid hiding under the table or uh you know stuff like that and then it's like okay well let's figure out these puzzles in this new wing to help these five ghosts you know yeah totally i mean that is really like the joy of the game but i will say at the same time i think that the framing of the first game did lead me to enjoying those parts more Mm. like i kind of felt like it was stronger you know when i think of my favorite ghosts from the first game it was always that they started as kind of just a little blip like oh i don't know what this person's deal is and it kind of ended with oh i see how this ties into the main narrative yeah you know for sure i felt like so you know in the first game there's this family lineage and so whenever the head of the family or a, a member of the family would show up that was like your cue that the story was moving forward and they showed up in a nice even pace and moved the story forward for you. In this game, it's basically just like your main antagonist, um, who is sort of like your dark mirror, basically. He's on the same quest you are, but he's evil, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and then there's another sort of mysterious Cheshire cat character who pops in to help, who is supernatural in nature and pops in to sort of assist you on your quest i guess she's very mysterious you know she is such an anime trope she's kind of like the flippant badass that just like stands there with her like foot up and smirks yes like says some like cold shit you can't read like such an anime character yeah no a hundred percent and it's interesting because whenever those two would show up, unlike in the first game, it wouldn't really move the story forward. It would mm-hmm. sort of just move the story sideways, in my opinion. And so, like, I kept waiting for them to show up and maybe tie the whole thing together or give me some clue of what was going on. And instead, they would just, like, say some anime shit and leave. <laughs> yeah. Uh, definitely not the high point of the game for me. Like, I honestly couldn't give a fuck about any of the characters. Any yeah. of the main characters, you know? Yeah, but I think that for me, that's actually what I liked about Echo Knight 1 is that it was it was ultimately kind of a simple story and everything tied into the central story. So even though the story is is totally batshit, it gives you that feeling of a mystery unfolding. That's what I like about Gen 1 survival horror. That's what interested me as a kid, like playing Resident Evil or playing Silent Hill or whatever it was like watching a mystery unfold and the original echo knight i think nailed that in a way that this one doesn't well the intro of echo knight one was so good with that with the uh the train scene the murder on the train yeah like what a sick way to like get you involved in the game and then uh but yeah this one doesn't have that like you go to the library and then you go to the house yeah like well uh, your car crashes and this guy finds you and saves you and you're in this like mansion and uh it's funny because the guy that saves you he kind of like points you like he tells you how to turn the lights on 
Uh, and then he like runs away immediately and ditches you. Dude, he tries to kill you right away. He like barricades a door that you could run through when a ghost attacks. That guy's an asshole. Yes, but it's hilarious because he's trying to escape, right? And then the ghost kills him. And then yeah. later on, you come back and he's a ghost. Yeah. There's also kind of like uh, a set of like challenge ghosts. You find this little girl in um, in a room and uh, she says all her friends are playing hide and seek. And I think there's like four or five kids you have to find, but some of them are like extremely hard to find. Uh, one's in a locker, but he's like holding the locker closed until he falls asleep at night. Yeah. And then at night you can open the locker and save him. And uh, the the one ghost I missed in the game, he's hiding in the uh, boathouse, and I wasn't able to get him. Sure. And then uh, there's there's a section in the game where you drop your lantern, and if you drop it, you can't get it back. I'm still fucking mad about that because I didn't get all the ghosts. Yeah. So there's a bunch of bullshit like that. Uh, yeah. You can miss a lot of stuff because of item based challenges which is simultaneously very adventure gamey it's like a sierra adventure game it's also from soft af it's also dark souls as fuck i mean i I think that for me i viewed the original echo knight as a game that people who like walking sims could go back and really enjoy um Mm. if you emulated it and you fix the controls with your own software uh you could really enjoy that game and it felt very modern. Like, I feel like someone who liked Gone Home, it would not be a big leap to play Echo Knight, right? Mm, Even someone who doesn't normally like PS1 games or old survival horror or whatever. But with this game, I almost feel like it's more for the diehard FromSoft fans and the diehard Dark Souls fans because it has the the unfairness it has the difficulty and it has the obtuse storytelling and exploration um in a way that really made it feel a lot further down the line of what we now consider to be uh the characteristics of a from from soft game or what we consider to be a modern from soft game i i think calling this game difficult is a stretch but it is unforgiving that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, it's not it's not difficult. There's, you know, there's still no combat and it's not like well, yeah, little, you don't there's a little running involved, but uh, Yeah, you run from from gunshots, but I mean, if that's combat, then I've been engaging in combat in my old neighborhood for a while. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, let's talk about Mr. Gunshots cuz I like him. All the I hate all these characters. The only character I like in this game is this like buffoon groundskeeper who wants to kill you. Yeah, he's like the guy from the Goonies or something. He's just like a total dumbass. And is like, he reminds me of the guy from uh, Trailer Park Boys. Uh, what are you looking at my gut for? Because he's I've got actually, his gut hanging out of his t-shirt. I've never actually watched that show. Oh, really? It was on in the background a lot in this one place I lived at. And I was like, <laughs> that looks annoying. I'm not going to watch it. It's fantastic. But I love Letter Kenny. And that's apparently heavily inspired by that. So I got to go mm. at some point. Look at that. Yeah, yeah. Um but yeah, he's a big dumb buffoon, like shooting at you, and he chases you through like several screens or rooms, and mm-hmm. you know there's there's a puzzle involved with stopping him each time, which is kind of obtuse. But there was one section in the first game where you're stalked by another guy. Uh, it's like in the catacombs, if you remember, and yeah. that part was like horrible. And I feel like they like did it right in the second game. They did it okay. Did it I okay. mean. 
Because, like, the thing for me is, once again, there's a few sections where, like, if I didn't have the guide, I wouldn't have known what to do. I don't know if mm. I would have died, because it is still kind of hard to die in this game. Uh, but, like, uh, you know, with a guide and save states, it was just like, okay, I'm basically invincible in this game. But <laughs> yeah. There's, you know, like, there's a, there's a one part where you have to go into this courtyard where there's a dog that attacks you. And, like, you basically have to beeline for its grave, do the ghost challenge, come back, beeline back to its owner, and give her the item to get it to not attack you. I remember that, yeah. Yeah. And, like, I totally saw the writing on the wall, and I was like, no, no, I'm looking at the guide for how to do this, because, like, I'm not fucking dealing with this. And it, <laughs> right. it's just, you know, mm-hmm. and say, you know, when dudes started fucking firing off bullets at me, it's like, what am I supposed to do here? Cause it's like, yeah, I just don't know, and I sort of just, like, don't care. Uh, I think once again, I think in the first game, there's a couple parts that broke the flow and the spell of the game, which I did criticize in the episode. Like when you have to Mm -hmm. run from the exploding fucking submarine or whatever at the end of the first game, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, just total fucking Resident Evil trope style. And like that was dumb. And then, yeah, when that guy is stalking you, that's also dumb. I feel like there were actually a few more moments like that in this game. And it was just always a moment where I was like, Let's be real. I'm going to fucking hit pause <laughs> and look at the strategy guide because I don't care. And this isn't like, it's not actually exciting. They're going for exciting, but this is not an exciting <laughs> it's game. It's like glacially paced exciting. Well, that's what I mean. This game, it's not exciting in the traditional sense. It's supposed to yeah. be slow and atmospheric be and, yeah. and beautiful at its best. So it's it's odd to me that this game was more of like let's do action. <laughs> yeah, and there's even a uh, like a a boat chase through a cave, and you have to like pilot a boat down some rapids. Yeah, uh, I was like, what? Like, yeah. who 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 greenlit this? Who did this? Okay, well, uh, there's there's one more thing I really want to stand for for this game that you know we've we've been talking about a little bit, but some of the puzzles in this game are fucking awesome. Yeah, for sure. Um, there's one in the kitchen area where uh, there's a room with a ghost girl playing piano. And she can't remember the sheet music. Uh, but you know this name of the song. You can read the name of the song of the sheet music. And then you can actually go to the jukebox in the bar and listen to that song in the jukebox. And then go back and fill in the notes on the sheet music. I thought that was like a great... I thought that was better than the piano puzzle in Silent Hill 1. Oh, I don't know about that. I love yeah, that piano puzzle, but it's great. I mean, it, it was, was a great good. puzzle. Yeah, it was a great puzzle, and um, you could botch that one because there's another ghost that's her boyfriend that he's like looking for his pepper shaker or some shit. And if you give him the pepper shaker, he disappears and they never reunite. So, like getting that right and like unlocking both ghosts at once—that that was a great puzzle. Yeah, um, I mean, so there are things about this game that I really like. There's some really great puzzles. That's probably my favorite puzzle in the game. Um, I'm going to highlight a few cool. more. So, Well, I was going to say, too, <laughs> that there's a lot of music-based puzzles that I thought uh-huh. was kind of interesting. Like, there's a few different things where you do something music-related and then someone, like, plays you a little song. And I thought it was neat. It's always, like, this weird kind of, like, uh, eerie but sentimental music and uh there's, there's it's a, really a good cool, part of the aesthetic of the game there's a really cool puzzle that uh has to do with a violin yeah yeah uh, where it's like a, a broken violin owned by like the old man butler uh-huh but you 
what you can do is take it and go back in time and give it to him as a young guy, and he repairs it. And then you can stow, uh, and he stows it away in the same spot, so you can go back into the future, and it's like a brand new violin, and then you give it to him in the future. It's just yeah. a great, great like a little time, time twist puzzle. There's another one with a poker game. Which in the first game there was actually like a casino, and you actually had to like play the casino games. So the the worst goes. part of that game, yes. <laughs> yeah, this one's got a, a poker game where like this dude, like no matter what, he loses the game, and he says it's because he's sitting in an unlucky seat or something, and all their like wives are waiting for them to dance in the dance hall. So what you have to do is like move the seats around, so he actually wins a hand of poker. And then they go into the dance hall, and them and their wives all get zapped to heaven, and you get their soul juice. So <laughs> yes. that, that, that was another fantastic one, too. Yeah. I mean, so some of the puzzles in this game are really, really cool. I also think the aforementioned aesthetic is fantastic. Like, mm-hmm. I kept wanting to play this game even when I wasn't really enjoying it because the aesthetic is so so fucking good like if you were a goth you know in your early years and you love 90s shit like you love symphony of the night and you love just like you know whatever interview of the vampire like this game the aesthetic chef's fucking kiss and like the leap forward in design and the graphics and everything from the first game is is pretty huge like it's, it may not strike you right away, but once you get to actually go into some of the more like ornate gothic looking parts of the mansion or other environments, you're just like, oh, whoa, this is kind of on another level, you know? Yeah, well, it's it's even up to just like the number of props in a scene. You know, when you're in the bar, you know, there's a jukebox, there's a bunch of bottles and plates behind. The, the characters actually have facial detail. You know, even a lot of the uh, high-profile PS1 games didn't have a lot of great facial detail on their character models. Oh, yeah. I thought it was pretty impressive, you know? Yeah. No, I totally agree. And we talked about it in the other episode that, like, there was a great attention to detail in that game, but it still had a low-tech feel. This one, it's even more attention to detail and even more impressive tech. So... I I think it's a super impressive game. And just like the first one, if you love the PS1 aesthetic, it's just like, it's a feast for your eyes. Like, it's so much of that, uh, that you're just gonna, you're you're just gonna love it. You're gonna get full, overly full. You're gonna gorge yourself at the PS1 aesthetic buffet. Mm And you're just not going to know what to do with yourself. Yeah, you ever wish that a haunted PS1 demo disc game was real? Here you go. (laughs) Yeah, no, totally. And that's kind of how I felt about the first game. But in this game, it's even more so because of the jump in tech. It really does look like something uh, like, oh, I forget the name of the dude. The dude who did the the weird like Dark Souls style game on the haunted PS1 oh, demo yeah. disc. Yeah. yeah. And then the weird like B game in the other one we played mm-hmm. in the Dread X collection. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I think it was or the, like, lone, the, lonely uh, the other B place. game, uh, Killer Bees. The Haunted PS1 demo disc? Oh, no, not that game. <laughs> no, God. Uh, but yeah, like, uh, it's it's great. It looks great. And the vibes in the sections where it works, it's fucking great. You know, it's got that mournful, sad kind of vibe. 
there's ghosts that don't know why they're dead. It's it's just like such a cool vibe. You know, you're just going around, you're exploring. This game has that. I think for me, ultimately, it's just too long and too unfocused and kind of lacking in a structure for it to actually be a more enjoyable or better game than the first game when I look yeah. at it holistically. I think that's where I landed on it, you know? Yeah, I think that's a double-edged sword. If this is a game you want to blast through in a weekend, probably not. Yeah. Uh, or it's just going to be strategy guide bait. Uh, if you want something... If you love the Echo Knight one and you want something to marinate on longer, this might be it for you. Like, it's not going to hold your hand as much. It's less linear. Uh, some people might be looking for that. Uh, I kind of like that. I play these horror games on a schedule now. Uh, I feel like if you want a quick weekend blast, Echo Knight one is the one for you. Well, and I also think, too, that it's important to highlight that it's like very from softy so if you do just like from soft games if you love dark souls and the style of exploration and storytelling this game is like an instant recommend and if you find what'd you say it gloomy yeah for sure but if you if you don't like that you might be somewhat turned off by this game uh like i was you know so I think that's a that's an important thing to bring up. The original Echo Knight doesn't feel exactly like that, and in some ways felt like some sort of lost relic of FromSoft's past. You know, mm. yeah. I am curious to play Beyond again because I always love Beyond yeah. a lot, but I haven't played it yeah. in a long time, and now I'm wondering if I'm just going to feel like I'm playing Dark Souls and get annoyed. I doubt it. I had a lot of fun with Echo Knight Beyond when I was a teenager or in my early twenties, whenever I yeah. played it. Yeah, same. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, I feel like Echo Knight 2 might have more appeal for people that kind of like grew up playing stuff like uh, Seventh Guest and Phantasmagoria and stuff like that, too. There might be some like crossover appeal there. You know, because sure. a lot of those people like kind of, uh, they were PC gamers, they weren't PlayStation gamers. So, and yeah. especially this game because it was fan translated and no one's played it. Yeah. So if you're just like itching for some like '90s adventure shit that you've never played before, like boom, here you go. Yeah, totally. Well, and I think the comparison to the old horror PC games is also apt because you know in the other episode I said that the the original Echo Knight is like primary color goth, and <laughs> this is just like goth goth. You know, mm-hmm. like it's yeah. just full on. You know, it definitely has the anime vibes with the character design and the absurd story, but mm. it's also just much darker, uh, very bleak in the aesthetic, which is cool. I thought that was cool. Yeah. Uh, fucking, this is like two belts, goth. Three belts? <laughs> How many belts? Uh, I don't. I don't know. Are we wearing extra it, um, belts now? Three and a half goth belts out of five. <laughs> I feel like the extra belts is more of a Galerian's like cyber goth kind of thing. Oh, okay. Uh, three and a half paisley vests out of five. <laughs> Black paisley. Black paisley, yeah. Like that kind of satiny, yeah. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like the guy with the shoe on his cane might want something different than Echo Knight 2. <laughs> I yes. I don't know if they're the same kind of goth exactly. Went to Academy recently. I was getting a new pair of shoes. 
I was thinking to myself, man, I wish, really wish this pair of shoes came with a third tiny shoe for my cane. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, you got to make your own fun with that one. You got to 3D print your cane shoe, I think. Mm-hmm. Or get a baby shoe. Or meet a one-legged baby and take <laughs> borrow their extra shoe. Well, no, see, I think the, the drip is that you only wear shoes you can also buy for a baby. And then, mm. like, you buy your pair of shoes and the baby shoes and you use the baby one on your cane and then you have a backup shoe for your cane if it, if you lose the cane shoe mm, okay so what you can yeah. get tims for a baby you can get like uh you know jays for a baby uh mm-hmm. you know stuff like that you got to only wear those shoes that's it three and a half baby shoes out of five <laughs> three and a half baby jays <laughs> Alright, I don't even know why I'm doing this. You know what fucking time it is, dude. We're playing Resident Evil 4 and then we're playing Dead Space. That's it. Resident Evil 4. Dead Space. Halloween. Fucking get psyched up, dude. I should say, little tip, if you're curious and you haven't yet procured a copy of Resident Evil 4 and you're gonna, uh, the PS4 version fucking rocks. Like. I guess not all the HD remasters are the same, and I know that James is having some visual problems with the PC version. Uh, PS4 version rocks. It looks insane. It looks like a new game. Looks perfect. Plays great. Uh, can't recommend it enough. So, there's your pro tip. Funny enough, Dead Space is not on the PS4. Isn't that fucking weird? I have it on PC, because I got it for like a dollar or some shit a few years ago, but it's like Xbox, PC, older consoles, it's on PS3, it's on 360, because it's 360 as fuck, but okay, this has been your, your console corner, I'm your industry watchdog, Nathan Drake, have a good night. And make sure you drink your tea.